Part One of The Little Mermaid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schoenever. The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Part One. Far out at sea, the water is as blue as the bluest cornflower, and as clear as the clearest crystal. But it is very deep, too deep for any cable to fathom, and if many steeples were piled on the top of one another, they would not reach from the bed of the sea to the surface of the water. It is down there that the mermen live. Now, don't imagine that there are only bare white sands at the bottom. Oh, no! The most wonderful trees and plants grow there, with such flexible stalks and leaves that at the slightest motion of the water they move just as if they were alive. All the fish, big and little, glide among the branches just as, up here, birds glide through the air. The palace of the Merman King lies in the very deepest part. Its walls are of coral, and the long pointed windows of the clearest amber. But the roof is made of mussel shells, which open and shut with the lapping of the water. This has a lovely effect, for there are gleaming pearls in every shell, any one of which would be the pride of a queen's crown. The Merman King had been for many years a widower, but his old mother kept house for him. She was a clever woman, but so proud of her noble birth that she wore twelve oysters on her tail, while the other grandees were only allowed six. Otherwise she was worthy of all praise, especially because she was so fond of the little mermaid princesses, her grandchildren. They were six beautiful children, but the youngest was the prettiest of all. Her skin was as soft and delicate as a rose-leaf, her eyes as blue as the deepest sea, but, like all the others, she had no feet, and instead of legs she had a fish's tail. All the livelong day they used to play in the palace in the great halls, where living flowers grew out of the walls. When the great amber windows were thrown open, the fish swam in just as the swallows fly into our rooms when we open the windows. But the fish swam right up to the little princesses, ate out of their hands, and allowed themselves to be patted. Outside the palace was a large garden, with fiery red and deep blue trees, the fruit of which shone like gold, while the flowers glowed like fire on their ceaselessly waving stalks. The ground was of the finest sand, but it was of a blue phosphorescent tint. Everything was bathed in a wondrous blue light down there. You might more readily have supposed yourself to be high up in the air, with only the sky above and below you, than that you were at the bottom of the ocean. In a dead calm you could just catch a glimpse of the sun like a purple flower, with streams of light radiating from its calyx. Each little princess had her own little plot of garden, where she could dig and plant just as she liked. One made her flower-bed in the shape of a whale, another thought it nice to have hers like a little mermaid, but the youngest 
made hers quite round like the sun, and she would only have flowers of a rosy hue like its beams. She was a curious child, quiet and thoughtful, and while the other sisters decked out their gardens with all kinds of extraordinary objects which they got from wrecks, she would have nothing beside the rosy flowers like the sun up above, except a statue of a beautiful boy. It was hewn out of the purest white marble, and had gone to the bottom from some wreck. By the statue she planted a rosy red weeping willow, which grew splendidly, and the fresh delicate branches hung round and over it, till they almost touched the blue sand where the shadows showed violet, and were ever moving like the branches. It looked as if the leaves and the roots were playfully interchanging kisses. Nothing gave her greater pleasure than to hear about the world of human beings up above. She made her old grandmother tell her all that she knew about ships and towns, people and animals. But above all, it seemed strangely beautiful to her that up on the earth the flowers were scented, for they were not so at the bottom of the sea, also that the woods were green, and that the fish which were to be seen among the branches could sing so loudly and sweetly that it was a delight to listen to them. You see, the grandmother called little birds fish, or the mermaids would not have understood her, as they had never seen a bird. "'When you are fifteen, said the grandmother, "'you will be allowed to rise up from the sea "'and sit on the rocks in the moonlight "'and look at the big ships sailing by, "'and you will also see woods and towns.' "'One of the sisters would be fifteen the following year, "'but the others, well, they were each one year younger than the other, "'so that the youngest had five whole years to wait before she would be allowed to come up from the bottom to see what things were like on earth. But each one promised the others to give a full account of all that she had seen and found most wonderful on the first day. Their grandmother could never tell them enough, for there were so many things about which they wanted information. None of them was so full of longings as the youngest, the very one who had the longest time to wait, and who was so quiet and dreamy. Many a night she stood by the open windows and looked up through the dark blue water which the fish were lashing with their tails and fins. She could see the moon and the stars. It is true, their light was pale, but they looked much bigger through the water than they do to our eyes. When she saw a dark shadow glide between her and them, she knew that it was either a whale swimming above her, or else a ship laden with human beings. I am certain they never dreamt that a lovely little mermaid was standing down below, stretching up her white hands toward the keel. The eldest princess had now reached her fifteenth birthday, and was to venture above the water. When she came back, she had hundreds of things to tell them, but the most delightful of all, she said, was to lie in the moonlight on a sandbank in a calm sea, and to gaze at the large town close to the shore, where the lights twinkled like hundreds of stars, to listen to music and the noise and bustle of carriages and people, 
to see the many church towers and spires, and to hear the bells ringing, and just because she could not go on shore, she longed for that most of all. Oh, how eagerly the youngest sister listened! And when, later in the evening, she stood at the open window and looked up through the dark blue water, she thought of the big town with all its noise and bustle, and fancied that she could even hear the church bells ringing. The year after, the second sister was allowed to mount up through the water and swim about wherever she liked. The sun was just going down when she reached the surface, the most beautiful sight she thought that she had ever seen. The whole sky had looked like gold, she said, and as for the clouds, well, their beauty was beyond description. They floated in red and violet splendor over her head, and, far faster than they went, a flock of wild swans flew like a long white veil over the water toward the setting sun. She swam toward it, but it sank and all the rosy light on clouds and water faded away. The year after that, the third sister went up, and being much the most venturesome of them all, swam up a broad river which ran into the sea. She saw beautiful green vine-clad hills, palaces and country seats peeping through splendid woods. She heard the birds singing, and the sun was so hot that she was often obliged to dive to cool her burning face. In a tiny bay she found a troop of little children running about naked and paddling in the water. She wanted to play with them, but they were frightened and ran away. Then a little black animal came up. It was a dog, but she had never seen one before. It barked so furiously at her that she was frightened and made for the open sea. She could never forget the beautiful woods the green hills, and the lovely children who could swim in the water, although they had no fish's tails. The fourth sister was not so brave. She stayed in the remotest part of the ocean, and, according to her account, that was the most beautiful spot. You could see for miles and miles around you, and the sky above was like a great glass dome. She had seen ships, but only far away, so that they looked like seagulls. There were grotesque dolphins turning somersaults, and gigantic whales squirting water through their nostrils like hundreds of fountains on every side. Now the fifth sister's turn came. Her birthday fell in the winter, so that she saw sights that the others had not seen on their trips. The sea looked quite green, and large icebergs were floating about, each one of which looked like a pearl, she said, but was much bigger than the church towers built by men. They took the most wonderful shapes, and sparkled like diamonds. She had seated herself on one of the largest, and all the passing ships sheared off in alarm when they saw her sitting there, with her long hair streaming loose in the wind. In the evening the sky became overcast with dark clouds. It thundered and lightened, and the huge icebergs, glittering in the bright lightning, were lifted high into the air by the black waves. All the ships shortened sail, and there was fear and trembling on every side, 
but she sat quietly on her floating iceberg, watching the blue lightning flash in zigzags down onto the shining sea. The first time any of the sisters rose above the water, she was delighted by the novelties and beauties she saw, but once grown up and at liberty to go where she liked, she became indifferent and longed for her home. In the course of a month or so they all said that, after all, their own home in the deep was best. It was so cozy there. Many an evening the five sisters, interlacing their arms, would rise above the water together. They had lovely voices, much clearer than any mortal, and when a storm was rising and they expected ships to be wrecked, they would sing in the most seductive strains of the wonders of the deep bidding the seafarers have no fear of them. But the sailors could not understand the words. They thought it was the voice of the storm, nor could it be theirs to see this Elysium of the deep, for when the ship sank they were drowned, and only reached the merman's palace in death. When the elder sisters rose up in this manner, arm in arm, in the evening, the youngest remained behind quite alone, looking after them as if she must weep. But mermaids have no tears, and so they suffer all the more. "'Oh, if I were only fifteen, she said, I know how fond I shall be of the world above, and of the mortals who dwell there. At last her fifteenth birthday came. "'Now we shall have you off our hands,' said her grandmother, the old queen dowager. "'Come now, let me adorn you like your other sisters.' and she put a wreath of white lilies round her hair. But every petal of the flowers was half a pearl. Then the old queen had eight oysters fixed on to the princess's tail to show her high rank. "'But it hurts so,' said the little mermaid. "'You must endure the pain for the sake of the finery,' said her grandmother. But, oh, how gladly would she have shaken off all this splendor, and laid aside the heavy wreath. Her red flowers in her garden suited her much better, but she did not dare to make any alteration. Goodbye, she said, and mounted as lightly and airily as a bubble through the water. The sun had just set when her head rose above the water, but the clouds were still lighted up with a rosy and golden splendor, and the evening star sparkled in the soft pink sky. The air was mild and fresh, and the sea as calm as a mill-pond. A big three-masted ship lay close by, with only a single sail set, for there was not a breath of wind, and the sailors were sitting about the rigging on the cross-trees and at the mastheads. There was music and singing on board, and as the evening closed in, hundreds of gaily-colored lanterns were lighted. They looked like the flags of all nations waving in the air. The little mermaid swam right up to the cabin windows, and every time she was lifted by the swell she could see through the transparent panes crowds of gaily-dressed people. The handsomest of them all was the young prince with large dark eyes. He could not be much more than sixteen, and all these festivities were in honor of his birthday. The sailors danced on deck, and when the prince appeared among them, hundreds of rockets were let off, making it as light as day, and frightening the little mermaid so much that she had to dive under the water. 
She soon ventured up again, and it was just as if all the stars of heaven were falling in showers round about her. She had never seen such magic fires. Great suns whirled round, gorgeous firefish hung in the blue air, and all was reflected in the calm and glassy sea. It was so light on board the ship that every little rope could be seen, and the people still better. Oh, how handsome the prince was! How he laughed and smiled as he greeted his guests, while the music rang out in the quiet night. It got quite late, but the little mermaid could not take her eyes off the ship and the beautiful prince. The colored lanterns were put out, no more rockets were sent up, and the cannon had ceased its thunder. But deep down in the sea there was a dull murmuring and moaning sound. Meanwhile she was rocked up and down on the waves so that she could look into the cabin, but the ship got more and more way on, sail after sail was lifted by the wind, the waves grew stronger, great clouds gathered, and it lightened in the distance. Oh, there was going to be a fearful storm, and soon the sailors had to shorten sail. The great ship rocked and rolled as she dashed over the angry sea. The black waves rose like mountains, high enough to overwhelm her, but she dived like a swan through them, and rose again and again on their towering crests. The little mermaid thought it a most amusing race, but not so the sailors. The ship creaked and groaned. The mighty timbers bulged and bent under the heavy blows. The water broke over the decks, snapping the mainmast like a reed. She heeled over on her side, and the water rushed into the hold. Now the little mermaid saw that they were in danger, and she had for her own sake to beware of the floating beams and wreckage. One moment it was so pitch dark that she could not see at all, but when the lightning flashed it became so light that she could see all on board. Every man was looking out for his own safety as best he could, but she more particularly followed the young prince with her eyes, and when the ship went down she saw him sink in the deep sea. At first she was quite delighted, for now he was coming to be with her, but then she remembered that human beings could not live under water, and that only if he were dead could he go to her father's palace. No! He must not die. So she swam toward him all among the drifting beams and planks, quite forgetting that they might crush her. She dived deep down under the water, and came up again through the waves, and at last reached the young prince just as he was becoming unable to swim any further in the stormy sea. His limbs were numbed, his beautiful eyes were closing, and he must have died if the little mermaid had not come to the rescue. She held his head above the water and let the waves drive them whithersoever they would. By daybreak all the storm was over. Of the ship not a trace was to be seen. The sun rose from the water in radiant brilliance, and his rosy beams seemed to cast a glow of life into the prince's cheeks. But his eyes remained closed. The mermaid kissed his fair and lofty brow, and stroked back the dripping hair. It seemed to her that he was like the marble statue in her little garden. 
She kissed him again, and longed that he might live. At last she saw dry land before her, high blue mountains on whose summits the white snow glistened as if a flock of swans had settled there. Down by the shore were beautiful green woods, and in the foreground a church or temple. She did not quite know which, but it was a building of some sort. Lemon and orange trees grew in the garden, and lofty palms stood by the gate. At this point the sea formed a little bay where the water was quite calm but very deep, right up to the cliffs. At their foot was a strip of fine white sand, to which she swam with the beautiful prince, and laid him down on it taking great care that his head should rest high up in the warm sunshine. The bells now began to ring in the great white building, and a number of young maidens came into the garden. Then the little mermaid swam further off behind some high rocks and covered her hair and breast with foam, so that no one should see her face, and then she watched to see who would discover the poor prince. End of part one.